from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. We have your Bibles. In just a few minutes, we will be in 1 John chapter 3, and we'll be down in verse 11 um, and following. And this is a series that's kind of building a, a little bit off of last week's message about five commitments for the new year. And if you remember from that, one of the points from last year was a commitment to do God's will this year. And as we looked at that, we we divided that into two parts. Remember that division, the God's general will and His particular will. And, And the particular will was what God has particularly in store for you. And His general will was what He says to all His believers, all His disciples. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is look at the general will, what God has said for all of His believers to do. So what we're going to look at is equally uh, applicable to me as it is to you, as it is to believers wherever they may be this morning, wherever they are worshiping. They are universal truths because it is God's will. And what we're going to start this morning is on love kind of a foundational element, if you would, right? Have you ever paid attention to how many songs there are about love? <laughs> I mean, there, there are so many songs about love, and the, the songs make it sound so easy, right? What the world needs now is love, sweet love, right? It just makes it so easy. Just, just go out and, and, and be more loving. Man, that's a hard one, though, isn't it? <laughs> Sometimes it is hard to be just a little more loving. Now, as believers, we might think, well, you know, it's hard to love the world, and sometimes it is, right? It it is hard to love the world at times. I understand that. We all have, well, I know y'all don't. I do. I have those moments, right? The other day, uh, yesterday, I had a hard time loving the world because there was just too many people on the Walmart aisles. I just needed people to get out of my way, let me get my groceries and get going. I needed to pick up 10 things, and it took me forever. It's like I'd go on an aisle, and like everybody would just come, and you're just going, all right, world, I'm not really liking you right now. All right? But they all love me, you know, so, yeah. But here's the thing. When we come to 1 John chapter 3, the command to love is to one another, It's a command to believers to love other believers. So as we look at this this morning, it's not a command to love the world. It's a command to love each other, which is a whole lot easier, right? (sighs) Right? (laughs) And and we're all all laughing, right? But, But sometimes it's hard. Right? There's, there's, there's an old pastor joke, and it, it, it's really silly, all right? So just bear with me, where a lady walks into a church one morning, and she walks into the church, and she's happy to be there, and she looks across the sanctuary, and she sees this other lady who has always just kind of been cold to her and, and not very nice to her and just kind of shun her, and this lady is, is making a beeline. She's coming right to her, and she's, okay, what's going on? And when this lady approaches her, she just reaches out, grabs her, and gives her a great big hug. And, and, and the lady who entered the sanctuary is kind of confused by this. This lady's never been nice to her. But it all made sense at the end of the sermon when the pastor gets up and said, hey, look, the task for you this week is the same as last week. Find somebody you don't like and love on them. Right? 
I, I mean, it's a silly illustration, but we, we expect better in the body of Christ, don't we? We expect better for believers. We're called to love one another. And so this morning, as we're going to look at this, we've got to ask ourselves this question. Why? What is so foundational about love? Why is it elevated? And you go, well, it's, it's a great emotion. It is an emotion, but, but is it just that? Or, or is there something else behind love that is given to us to demonstrate that it marks us as a disciple? And that's what we're going to see this morning over the coming weeks. Things that we are called to do that marks us as a disciple. And that's one of the reasons I, I use the little fish symbol for, for the background for the, the sermon series. Because in ancient times, that was the mark that people would use that would identify them as a disciple. They would put it on their doors or they would put it somewhere in their house where if you saw it, you would say, that person is identifying as a disciple of Christ. And one way that they would identify that is by loving one another. So let's read what the Apostle John wrote and then look at why love is a distinguishing characteristic of a believer. He writes this in verse 11 down to verse 18. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So this morning, from that passage, four truths about love, all right, that'll set the foundation uh, for us and a distinguishing characteristic of a believer. Number one, love is important because love fulfills the commands of Jesus. It's, it's just that simple. Okay, I mean, at, at the bottom line, when you look at the verse and you look at verse 11, it says, you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. It, it is a command. There, there's, there's no ambiguity there, right? I mean, sometimes I think we just, and we, we come to the Bible and we read something, we just, we immediately start arguing with it. We want to find something. Well, does it really mean that? Does it really mean this? And, and I know sometimes we lose a little bit in translation where there is more there, but in this case, we don't lose anything. It's just a command. Love one another. It fulfills the command of Christ because he told us to do this. Now, let me ask you this. It's a simple question. If Jesus tells us to do something and we don't do it, when we disobey God, when we miss the mark, what do we call that? It's called, it's called sin. Right? 
So we need to understand that the command to love that marks us as a disciple is because we don't want to sin against God. These other commands that we would look at and you know, we follow and we understand that, we go to the Ten Commandments and we say, all right, I don't want to break any of those because that would be sinful. But sometimes we get these other commands of Christ and we don't elevate them to the same importance as maybe the Ten Commandments. Yeah, it's the same thing. The same thing is true. If we don't do what He commands us to do, then we are sinning against Him. And so Jesus says, hey, you want to be my disciple? you got to love one another. It's a command. And then John, as he is writing this, points out, says, you have heard it said from the beginning. Now that should interest you. You should automatically go, anytime you read the Bible and you, you read, you have heard it said, you ought to automatically ask, where have I heard this said? Where, where, why would John write this? Maybe he's talking about the beginning of his epistle where he starts off, and in John 2, 7, he tells us to, to write one another, or excuse me, to love one another, not write one another. Write notes if you want to, but to love one another. He says, I'm writing you a new command, writing to you, no new command, but an old commandment you have heard from the beginning. So it's obviously not the beginning of his epistle. Maybe we go back to John, John's gospel where he says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. But even then you go, all right, but it's not a new command. And we keep going back and we keep going back and we eventually end up in Leviticus 19, 18 that says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what John is pointing out and what we need to understand is from the very beginning, not since Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, but since the very beginning, a key characteristic that marked the community of believers was to love one another. Old Testament Israel was to love one another. You go and you look at the commands and you look in Leviticus and you look in Deuteronomy and you look at all those commands that are given and they're based on love, that you have love for your neighbor that you're not going to steal from them. You have love for your neighbor that you're not going to, to injure them. You have love for your neighbor that you're not going to cheat them in the market. That's what marked the community of believers then, and it's what marks the community of believers now. At the same time, it is a new command, as John says in the gospel, because now it is established on the basis of Jesus' work and what he did for us. And since the church was established on that, and now Jesus says, you know, I came, I died for you, I died for the church, the command now for believers who identify with the church is a new command based on what he did, but it's not a new command in that Jesus just decided. It is the fulfillment of Scripture. And as we come to Christ and we come to Him and know Him as Lord and Savior and we become part of the community, this new relationship is now in us. And he demonstrates this by not telling us what we ought to do, but telling us what we shouldn't do. Right? I mean, don't you find it interesting that when he is talking about this, that the illustration he uses is Cain murdering his brother Abel? I mean, that seems kind of dramatic, doesn't it? Why does he, why does he pick that one? Why does he go all the way back to, to Genesis 4? I mean, it's pretty obvious that when we read Genesis 4, we go, man, Cain really didn't love his brother. His brother was what? It says here, his brother's heart was full of evil. His brother's heart was full of hatred. 
And we're told not to be like Him. We're told not to have, and at this point, the definition of brother is not by blood, but by spiritual connection through Christ, that you are my brother, you are my brother, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're not to treat our brothers and sisters in Christ the way that Cain treated his own brother. And you may think, Gary, well, I don't, you know, times when you irritate me, but I don't think I'm going to pick up a rock and hit you with it. Thank you. I appreciate that. So what? there's got to be more to it. And you know what the more is. The more is when Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. Right? When He is preaching, He says, You have heard it said of those of old, You shall not murder. Right? Going back to the Ten Commandments. Genesis 4. John says, Don't be like Cain in Genesis 4. You have heard it said of old, Do not murder. But you know what else He says? It says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Everyone who insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Those are Jesus' words directed to how, again, we are to treat one another in the community of Christ. And he says, well, I don't think you're going to rise up and kill somebody. Let me remind you that just hating and having evil intentions in your heart towards your brother rises to the same. Hey, Jesus didn't come to lower the bar or to abolish the law. He came and he set the bar higher. Now it's not, I can't physically kill you. I can't harbor hatred and, and evil thoughts in my heart for you. We've got to love one another because it's a command that has been given to us. And it is a mark of the authenticity of our faith. If, if someone or people judged you based on that alone, is this person a genuine believer because they love other believers? They love the body of faith at Red Bank. What would the judgment say? Would they go, yes, I see it in the way they demonstrate their love to one another. Or go, hmm, that's a little lacking. It's my prayer that as the world looks on us and sees us interacting with each other, they would all say, man, there's a lot of love that goes on in that church. They love one another. They really do. And we should, because it marks us as a believer in Christ. But secondly, love is also important because it reminds us that we are saved. It's an assurance of our salvation. Again, this marks us that we have been moved, that we have passed from life to death. If you look down in verse 14, it says, we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. Now, I know what you're thinking, but I thought we did that when we placed our faith in Christ. And yes, you did. That is true. But we're not talking about how to be saved. We're talking about markers that indicate that you are. And John, once again, says, hey, this is the marker. The marker that you have been moved from death to, to, to life, from darkness to light, is that you, you love one another. 
Because love says the gospel of Jesus Christ has transformed us, has changed our hearts. All right, we like to think that we always had good hearts and, and, and everything. And we go back and we read Scripture and it says our hearts are full of evil thoughts and evil intentions and all kinds of vile, disgusting stuff that when we have those moments of clarity, we go, man, I can't believe that that's in my heart. <laughs> we, don't, we, don't, we don't like that heart. So the evidence that we have been moved where our heart is not full of darkness and, and evil and our hearts are now full of love for one another is the fact that we have been saved. And John states it. Look at how forcefully he states it. He goes, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, just like Cain and Abel. Just like, or just like Cain. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's a strong statement. Because John just went, hate, murder, death. And that, that, that's, that's, those are strong statements. He says, if that's the case... If you walk in here and you hate everybody that you're worshiping with, that's a pretty good indication that you're still in darkness and you're still in death. You haven't been moved to light. Because the, the hatred just consumes you. And there's no demonstration that the gospel has transformed your life. There's no demonstration that the gospel has removed you from the darkness to the light. There's no demonstration that the gospel is transforming you daily. It's an assurance of salvation. Now, interestingly, John knew of what he wrote. John did. You don't need to turn there, but Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 17. Jesus is calling the apostles. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, John, who's writing this epistle, to whom he gave the name Barangis, that is, sons of thunder. Now, let me just ask you a question as you think about that. If you get nicknamed the son of thunder, what does that say about your personality? Right? It says you're loud. It says you're boisterous. It says a lot about your personality that maybe you're not the most loving and kind person. And you think, well, Gary, John's the, uh, the apostle of love. He, he, he had to be kind, right? It's called the son of thunder. And at the same time, this is the same person when they were going into a Samaritan village to preach and the Samaritan village would not receive Jesus. Do you know what John's response was? Do you all remember that story? Does John come to Jesus and say, Jesus, maybe we ought to just have a prayer meeting right here 
and pray for those Samaritans and, and pray for their hearts to be opened and pray that they will hear the gospel and repent, right? That's not what he says. You go back and read it. He goes up to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, can we call down fire on them? Hey, hey Jesus, just, just, just like it happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, can, can, can we do that? Can we wipe this Samaritan village off the face of the earth because they didn't receive you? Hmm. So what do you think happened between Son of Thunder calling down fire to destroying villages and little children, let us love one another? Could it be that in those two different descriptions, what we see is the truth of the assurance of John's salvation. That the gospel changed him from the fire calling down from heaven, son of thunder, to little children, let us love one another. Because that's what he writes here. He's been transformed by the gospel. And if you and I are transformed by the gospel, and if we are believers in Christ, then what's going to mark us is that we are not the believer of thunder, <laughs> you know, but we are a believer defined by love. Love becomes an assurance of our salvation. Third, John calls our attention to the illustration of love, and that is love is illustrated by Jesus' sacrifice. At this point, you may be asking, well, what exactly is love. Well, John says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. He says, by this we know it. And then he goes to the greatest illustration of love, and he brings us to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he says, this is what love looks like. The greatest illustration, because it is the greatest demonstration of love. Jesus laid down his life for us, for, for me, for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And as we go and we read through the Gospels, we see that that was a deliberative decision. Jesus went willingly to the cross. He was not dragged kicking and screaming. And that's important because what we see and what we understand is that love then was a matter of will, not emotion. That Jesus demonstrated his love towards us. He was willing to do that. And as we think about it, it's not just that he died, right? I mean, that is, that is part of it, and you can't factor it out. But as we look at it and we think about the illustration, that what we also need to realize is what is death, what is death accomplished? Right? I mean, for it to be a great illustration, it's got to accomplish something, right? I mean, if he just died and doesn't accomplish anything, is it a great illustration? Again, Gary's in the silly analogy um, department this morning. Let's say you're at a beach and you see a lifeguard coming. You think, oh, he's going out to save somebody. And all of a sudden, the lifeguard just runs out into the ocean screaming, I'm going to drown for you. And you're going, but I'm not drowning. And, and, and the lifeguard just goes down and... and it drowns, and there's going to be a news story the next day about some really unhinged lifeguard drowning in the ocean. It's like, well, that, that was odd. Didn't accomplish anything. Now, play that same scenario, 
where there's a child out there who's drowning, and the lifeguard rushes in, and in the effort to save the child, the lifeguard ends up drowning himself or herself. What has accomplished through his death or her death was the salvation and the deliverance of the child who was drowning. And the articles the next day in the newspaper will be remarkably different. The, hero, the lifeguard will be billed as a hero who was willing to lay down his life to save the child. Do you, do you see the difference? Jesus' death, while necessary for our salvation, also accomplishes something for us. The thief on the cross beside him, his death didn't accomplish anything for us. The thief on the other side, his death didn't accomplish anything for us. It is only through the death of Jesus Christ that there is something that is accomplished. And what is accomplished is those of us who were once far off from God are now brought near to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect, sinless life, lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we deserve, so we don't have to. And John says, look, this is why love is so important. This is the, the definition of love. The sacrifice that Christ made for you to bring you closer to God. And as we think about that, again, if we have one of those moments of clarity, we have to remember He brought us close while we were still far off, which meant that there wasn't a whole lot in us that was worth loving. Yet He was willing to do that. One commentator, when writing on this verse, wrote this, said, self-preservation is the first law of physical life. Right? I mean, that's true. Self-preservation is the first law of physical life. We want to do everything we can to keep ourselves alive. He goes on and says, but self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. And John says, if you want to know what love is, love is when you look at the cross and you see that Jesus sacrificed Himself for you. That is the perfect embodiment of the perfect love. And John builds on that, says, because this is what love is, he tells us, fourthly, that love helps other believers. Love sacrifices for other believers. That's why at the end of that verse, he says, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And then he continues, says, if you got goods and sees your brother in need and you close your heart, how, how does God's love abide in you? Let us not love in deed or in truth, but in, or let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So he says, as this love marks you as a believer, and as you look to see that love is defined by what Christ accomplished on the cross, it now compels you to act not in that self-preservation first law of, of physical life, but in self-sacrifice, the first, love, first law of spiritual life. Are, are you willing to, to lay down your life for your brothers? Man, that's a strong command, isn't it? Again, John, John, we think of John as the apostle of love, and, and, and it, sometimes we miss the... the he's, he's in your face with these things. Are, are, are we willing 
to do that? Are, are we willing? And this, you know, I wonder if he thought about Peter and Jesus talking. Remember Peter and Jesus talking at the end when Jesus is reinstating Peter and they're going back and forth with all that. Peter, do this. You, you know, Jesus says, Peter, do you really love me? You know that I love you. Because John writes, hey, you might not lay down your life for a brother or sister in Christ, but would you even feed them if they were hungry? Right? Because that's what he says. He's like, look, don't just look at your brother who's in need and let them go. Is, is, that, is that love? Is that a demonstration of love? Kind of the same thing James says, hey, it's a good day, brother. Well, I know you're hungry, but hey, buck up, little camper. John says, if Jesus was willing to demonstrate his love for us through self-sacrifice, then we ought to do the same. We ought to be willing to do that to one another. And I love the way that even though John is so forceful, he leaves it so wide open, right? It, it's not just that, that we feed someone, all right? It, it's, it's not uh, just that. We, we give them water. He says that you see your brother in need. See your brother in need. Do you reach out to your brother or sister and help them in that need? Right? I mean, there's infinite ways to do this. Right? It's a phone call to check on somebody. It's a, it's a shoulder to cry on. It's to bear the burden with somebody. It's to bring somebody a meal. Help pay a bill if they need help. It, it is open-ended from even the, the most simple thing that you can think of to something that only God would call you to do and provide the means for you to do. And everywhere in between. We don't always need to look for the, the big, right? I think some, we, we live in the society where we want to see the big, the large, the, the over the top, right? It doesn't always have to be that. It can be really simple, small things, the phone call, the note, the card, I'm praying for you, that over time accumulate and when added all together becomes much. And when you do that, you are demonstrating, again, to your brothers and sisters, and to the world through the active love that you are marked as a disciple of Christ. That is how they will know that you belong to Him. How are you doing? How are we doing? How is Red Bank doing and actively demonstrating our love for one another? Because John has clearly told us that we need to be active in our love to one another. It is said that in the last few years of the Apostle John's life that he had to be routinely carried into places of worship, house churches in the city of Ephesus. And his disciples would, would carry him in there and place him in the context of the room surrounded by other believers. And they would have a service and then at the end of the service, I mean, you got the Apostle John <laughs> in your service. And so you look at him and say, 
would you like to say anything? Makes sense, right? We still do the same thing today. It said that as John got older and older, that at every meeting, he would stand up and he would look and he would say, little children, let us love one another. Then the next week would go by and the same thing would play out and he would get up and say, little children, let us love one another. And this would go on and on and on. Now you can imagine eventually somebody is going to stop and say, why do you keep telling us the same command over and over and over? Surely you have something else for us. To which his answer was, because it is the Lord's command, and if only this is done, it is enough. Little children, let us love one another. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.